0: What? Two hundred and eighty percent! Isn't that amazing? Yo. It's four times the average Why are we eating orange. Oranges? <laughs> it's exactly, it's four
1: times the average orange. So, um,
2: I think I got very close. Just short two hundred. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> no. Okay, so guava is um, one of our newest exports to the U.S. Very exciting
3: news. Now we are called the Kingdom of Fruits because we have wonderful fruits all all year long. Mm. And I want to ask you, how many fruits do we export?
2: How many types of fruit?
3: How many types of fruits? Yeah.
2: Ooh. I'm going to say 10.
1: 10. Okay. <laughs> I'm
4: going to say 27? 27. 27.
0: Yeah. Sounds like a good number. Okay. okay. Let's take a look at the answer.
1: 34. 34. Yeah. I didn't even know there were 34 different.
0: What's this all about? Why are they doing that? What's going on here? It's Curious John. What is he curious
1: about today? In
0: 1995, a group of archaeologists at the government's research institute got called in to see if they could find anything interesting on a plot of land in Tainan. This was to be the future site of a big project, the Tainan Science Park, and a routine check would be needed to make sure nothing important lay underneath. When digging began, no one could have imagined the bonanza that waited under the ground. In a space of around 1,000 hectares, archeologists found 58 sites that together paint a complete picture of local life going back 5,000 years. And by the time they were done digging, they had a lot to sort through. The finds were so extensive that they could fill up a whole museum. Now, after many years of work, they finally do. The National Museum of Prehistory has opened a new branch right inside the Science Park. Huang Hongwen, director of the museum's management center, joins us today for a tour of the newly opened exhibits and for a look deep back into Southern Taiwan's prehistory. Through the ages, a total of six cultures have thrived on the land where the museum now stands. The word culture here means a general way of doing things and living life that we can see from the way everyday objects were made to the things people threw in their trash heaps and even the way they were buried. In the beginning, 5,000 years ago, there was the coastal Dapan Kong culture. After them came the Nyo culture, followed by the Dahu culture, the Niaosong culture, the Siraya culture of the local indigenous people, and finally a culture imported by Chinese settlers. That's a lot of different ways of life over a very long time. Between them, the sites of all these different cultures on the Science Park grounds have yielded over 8 million artifacts. Of this enormous range, only 540 have been carefully chosen to be put on display in the museum. Mr. Huang says that people often wonder why the local archaeological record only goes back 5,000 years and not further. The answer is pretty simple.
5: 6,000
0: years ago, the whole place was under the sea and only gradually became land. Once it did become land, though, it quickly provided the best environment for people to live on. The result is a high concentration of sites and objects that's pretty unusual in Taiwan. It's all been left in fantastic condition, thanks to the local climate, and also the local Zongwon River's habit of spreading layers of muck and sediment around every so often. Even at the earliest stages, 5,000 years ago, local people were very sophisticated. We don't usually think of prehistoric people as getting around too much, but apparently, in this corner of the world, some of them did. Even in early sites, you can find a kind of stone called olivine basalt. That doesn't seem too impressive. It was the Stone Age after all. But then people who know a lot about these sorts of things realized that this stone isn't found anywhere in Taiwan at all. The nearest source is off the coast to the west, in the Penghu Islands. Someone, from somewhere, must have opened sea links between this part of Taiwan and the wider world thousands of years ago. It's a tantalizing hint of some kind of ancient trade or exchange network, and it's not the only one. From this same early period on, there's also jade, something you can only find far away on Taiwan's east coast, on the other side of the island's forbidding central mountains. Sites around the science park have plenty of jade jewelry, but no signs of jade-working tools. It's possible ancient craftsmen somewhere else finished the pieces, and that they ended up here through exchange. Later in the record, Jade seems to fall out of favor in favor of something else, glass, something people in ancient Taiwan didn't know how to make for themselves. Mr. Huang speculates that the glass may have arrived here through some kind of trade network linking Taiwan with Southeast Asia, maybe even India. But these ancient peoples had no writing. And so the truth of this glass's origin may never be known. Exotic objects like these are all good and well, but how did ordinary people live through all these years? There's a lot to tell us. For one thing, there were plenty of burials, and while bones can't talk, they can tell scientists an awful lot about ancient lifestyles. They speak to a person's age and gender, their health and medical history, and, with the right signs of wear and tear, even what kind of work they did. In addition to giving us clues about everyday life, these burials are a morbid way of helping scientists further divide between culture layers. Practices changed over time, with all burials in certain periods facing one direction, only for their orientation to change in the next period. Why these kinds of changes happened and what they mean is anyone's guess, but along with material objects, these can be useful guides to what period we're working with. The burials don't just include humans, On the science park grounds, archaeologists found what appears to be Taiwan's oldest dog. 5,000 years ago, it looks like humans and canines were already close friends. We know this because of the way the dog was buried. Its body shows no signs of injury. Clearly, it wasn't eaten or sacrificed as a grave companion. It was simply buried next to a person, perhaps the human that cared for it in life. The Tainan Science Park also revealed another first, the oldest known example of the staple rice to be found in Taiwan. It's a rice seed, which is pretty unusual, because Mr. Huang says you would expect something like that to rot away in no time. But this is a carbonized seed. Some ancient person threw it in a trash heap, it seems that people of the time had a habit of letting trash pile up and then burning it all into ashes, creating room for new garbage on top. One of these ancient dumpster fires seems to have preserved our seed to our own time. The local government realized the importance of the finds and wanted to keep them in the area. But a museum to house the finds took a long time to materialize. By the time it opened, not that long ago, it had already been ten years in the making. So what's in the museum? Mr. Huang says there are three permanent exhibits. The first introduces the six cultures we've already talked about, introducing important objects from each. That's all good and well, but when looking at ancient objects, it can be hard to imagine how people actually use them. That's where the second exhibit comes in, a sort of diorama of ancient life, showing objects in places where prehistoric people would have seen them. The third section introduces the science of archaeology, all of the tools and methods that let experts look at objects like these from long ago and use them to tell us something about the world of the past. Alongside these exhibits is something pretty special. An area the museum calls its secret room. With more than 8 million objects to sort through, researchers still have a lot of work ahead of them. In the museum's secret room, people can watch these experts at work through a viewing window. On the one hand, it's a way of expanding the number of objects people get to see, given the limited exhibit space. But on the other hand, it's also a place where curious people can ask questions. Twice a day, an intercom is turned on, and people can ask their questions directly to the experts and find out more about what it is they're doing. Finally, there's an area for temporary special exhibits. The first ever exhibit is already open.
5: This The is
0: Fittingly, for a museum with Taiwan's oldest dog, this exhibit focuses on the relation between animals and prehistoric humans. First, we see what Southern Taiwan was like before humans showed up. Then we see how early people here interacted with the animals around them. There's a look at Southern Taiwan's disappearing animals, a product of more recent times. We see how modern humans have degraded the environment and left more trash than life off Taiwan's coast. Finally, there's a look at how archaeology uses science to unlock the secrets of ancient animals' lives and their environment. It's a promising start for the newest member of Taiwan's family of museums. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week.
1: Stroke of Light. A portrait of Taiwan through the eyes of painters, sculptors, filmmakers and photographers.
6: Hello and welcome back to Stroke of Light. In the past two weeks, we've briefly looked at the painting of Ms. Xie Hongjun. She is a longtime painter who also teaches at a local university. And her latest exhibition, titled Appearances by Erasure, is currently on view here in Taipei at the Mindset Art Center. We talked last week about how different Xie is compared to other oil painters. The medium has its own set of rules and conventions, and Ms. Shear seems to have challenged quite a few of them in her work. She doesn't focus on concrete items as well as subjects. Instead, she focuses on the minute details that are often just parts of a bigger subject matter. She also uses rather muted, unsaturated color, again, another deliberate choice that goes against the grain. With those aesthetic choices established, let's actually dive into her latest body of work and see what emotions and themes she manages to convey with her paintings. When I first walked across the exhibition hall, the painting that stands out among the rest isn't one that is in the biggest frame or one with the most distinct subject, but rather it is the one that looks the most incoherent And I don't know how to put this, but it's incoherent in a really good way. So let's take a closer look. The painting is titled Untitled Contact. And it looks like an oil painting with grey patterns, split into half by a yellow line that runs across the painting in the middle, vertically from top to bottom. As I walk closer, I find out that the line is that of a traffic sign. It is a yellow line with sections of black printed on it. The pattern is the same as that of a warning sign, often seen next to a construction site or a highway. A closer look also reveals that in the two halves of the painting, we see a large number of curves that look blurry on the edges. It is as if the painter had drawn many, many individual half circles, and before the paint dries, she just smudges them intentionally. The half circles are already very close to one another, and their smudged edges make them look even closer. I said this painting is wonderfully incoherent because the visual elements are distinctly different. The yellow and black pattern in the middle is obviously inspired by traffic signs in the real world. But the many half circles that occupy the rest of the canvas are more so like abstract elements, it looks like the artist might have projected her inner thoughts onto the canvas. And as a result, the smeared, bundled up and almost interlinking loops can be interpreted in many ways. We could imagine it as the artist's mind when she felt overwhelmed or frazzled. The loops appear to be infinite in number, which could signify the many thoughts in her head that are gradually overwhelming her with their weight and complexity. The interpretation for that part of the painting really could be infinite, as when an artist projects his or her thoughts and emotions on a given medium, the ideas often come from the subconscious part of the brain, which means even the artist himself, or in this case herself, cannot really make sense out of it. What's left on the canvas, therefore, are abstract thoughts, like moments captured by the brain that don't form a coherent narrative or message, and it's up to the audience to make meanings out of it. And that's why I think having the traffic sign-inspired element in the painting is an ingenious move. It is an element from the real world, and it serves to ground the audience to provide a connection with the real world when the viewer can easily get caught up in the cryptic meanings of the painting. The way I see it, the painting is a vivid portrayal of the artist's train of thoughts. It is almost like she was taking a stroll on a day and while the thoughts are getting more and more intense and complex, a traffic sign stops her in her tracks. She looks up briefly, registers the yellow and black pattern before continuing her train of thoughts. In that perspective, the painting is the record of that brief sequence. We will spend more time to look at a few other of Xie Hongjun's paintings in the upcoming weeks in an effort to dive deeper into her psyche. For Stroke of Light, I'm Jake Chan and talk to you next week.
1: Hey Ellen,
2: pull yourself together already It's time to feast Sit down at the table with Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu On Feast Meets West
7: Hello, welcome to Feast Meets West How are you?
2: I'm good, how are you Ellen Chu? I have a bit of a weird voice Really? Yeah, I think we'll survive though, right?
7: Okay, a weird voice. What do you mean?
2: Do uh, you not think my voice sounds weird?
7: My voice sounds weird too because on Saturday I was like screaming and yelling at a swim meet
2: mm-hmm. a whole
7: day. And yelling, I lost my voice. Yelling at who? No, because my daughter was in a swim meet.
2: I competition,
7: see. and then I had to cheer for the whole team.
2: Mm, that's yeah. a big mom duty there. I Alan know, Shiro. and then
7: it's like you know screaming on top of my lungs, but it was interesting. And and how'd they do? I think she got a third place in Relay. Wow, excellent. Fantastic. So, it's her first, and I think she was pretty calm, and she was doing pretty good for, you know, her age and for the first time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like she had four... Segments, But, you know, the first uh, segment that she was doing solo by herself, doing mm. freestyle, she kept on, like, you know, putting her head up, looking at other people, like, how fast they are.
2: Oh, no. I'm just like... Eyes yeah. on the prize. I know. Yeah. It's like,
7: eyes on the prize. Focus. Just con- compete with yourself. Don't look at other people.
2: That's right. You don't want right. to compete with other people. I know, but it's cute. It yeah. is very cute. Uh-huh. So, today in our program, we are going to be introducing something very unusual, very strange. Mm-hmm. I think it's a combination of of Sweet and Salty, uh, Eastern and Western. And we are talking about putting boba on your pizza. Have you heard about this?
7: Boba on my pizza? Actually, I think I can recall I had it somewhere.
2: You had it with me.
7: Oh, yeah. Back
2: in 2015, we went to California Pizza Kitchen.
7: Exactly. And they're putting this on menu again?
2: Apparently, because of the boba craze, which has taken over Asia and has taken over the world... Taiwan has two chain pizza restaurants from the United States. Pizza Hut and Domino's, they've both released a boba pizza.
7: You know what? It's strange because, you know, in Taiwan, we always hear that boba is not that healthy for you. Yeah. And then it's viral around the world. People don't care about, you know, the negative part of it.
2: Apparently not. You know, when right? you want boba in your mouth, it doesn't matter what's in the boba. You just love
7: Boba. But apparently
2: somebody is trying to create a healthy version of that.
7: Okay. We're going to
2: look into that and see if we can find some answers uh, by the end of our show. Okay. Yes. However, today we actually, after a um, feat of incredible Mm -hmm. power and might, I may say, I managed to find two of these pizzas and bring them to the radio station. Yes. Wow. And the thing is, is one of them doesn't deliver it. It's only for pickup. And the other one doesn't have it at every store. Oh. So I had to go to several different places before I it. So do they have
7: the thin crust...
2: Well, I don't know. I haven't actually seen it yet.
7: Are you serious? Yes. You just order it and they pack it and then you yeah. Back? Okay. I, so
2: we're gonna. It's gonna be a big surprise it's when we blind open it test, up. Test. Okay. It, th- it's a blind test. Actually, that's a good idea. Blindfold. I will. Tests. I will blindfold you and I won't okay. tell you which one is which, uh-huh. and then you can choose which one you like.
7: Why did I put this idea on your head?
2: <laughs> <laughs> All okay. right. Shall we check out what's on our menu? Let's do that. Let's do it.
7: In our first course, believe it or not, it's the as of this past Wednesday?
2: Yes, as of this past Wednesday.
7: Okay. November 7th, we are now in a two-week micro-season known as Li Dong, the beginning of winter. It does feel a little bit chilly, okay?
2: Actually, I think it started yesterday on Friday, Mm -hmm. November 8th. Yes, I got the day wrong. Okay. So... Uh, in our second course, we're going to tell you all about the boba pizzas and why they decided to release them at this time of the year.
7: Mm, interesting. Mm,
2: yeah, it has to do with sugar. I'll tell you that.
7: All right. And in our third and final course, we'll be sampling boba pizza right here in our studio. That's
2: right. Double blind. Uh huh. Double blind. Okay. <laughs> Actually, Two it won't be blind double blind. Mice. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. First off, though, we're going to start off with a song by Miss Ko, Pizza. She is a Golden Melody Award winner here in Taiwan for Best um, Female Artist All from right. several years ago. Okay. And this is a song in which she's saying, your pizza is no Brooklyn pizza. Really? <laughs> it's no New York pizza.
7: It's not the Berkeley Cow Fat Slice?
2: No, it's not that either. All right? <laughs> she's complaining, but I don't think she's really talking about the pizzas we're going to have today. Mm-hmm. Although she might say the same thing.
3: 是最烂的披萨买单应该给我打个七折但那个不是真的我在气的 so eating pizza, pizza, pizza,
2: First course.
7: Okay, first course. Beginning of the winter is a Ridley. Beginning of the winter. It's
2: a good question, Ellen Chu. It definitely is on the Chinese Farmer's Almanac. But is it here in Taiwan?
7: I think so. It's getting chilly, you know. My kids are asking for jackets. So I think that is a sign. Because my kids never wear any jackets.
2: Oh, I see. So I
7: think... You know, winter is slowly creeping out, okay
2: slowly creeping out right, um, you know, I have to say though, if they're asking for jackets, we should just mention it's it's like in the seventies Fahrenheit, it's in the mid twenties right it's not so, that so it's not cold. that
7: cold they you know it, it's like my kids usually walk around like with <laughs> tank tops and shorts, you know
2: uh-huh.
7: they never want to wear. Anything. (laughs) like Sometimes I feel like, you know, the air con is a little bit chilly. Yes. Then I would say that, you know, bring a jacket or something. Mm. But for them, they're like, no, I don't want my jacket. (laughs) But, you know, like for the past two days, you know, whenever they go out, before they walk out of the door, they're like, mommy, can you bring a jacket for me? Mm. So, you know, for a kid... To ask for a jacket and mm. not a mom running after them is a sign that it's getting colder.
2: No, oh, wow, yeah. wow. It is, indeed. Mm-hmm. Although I think the thermometer is a little bit different with your kids. I with know. kids in Taiwan. Exactly. Yeah, in the States, people are wearing like shorts, shorts. still. For
7: well, sure. When I lived in San Francisco, it's like even winter, winter, like in November, December, mm. we still wear like sweatshirts. And in the bottom, shorts.
2: <laughs> right? Yeah, right? That's your fall wear, right? Mm-hmm. And it can get cold there, too. Right. Mm -hmm. So, as we mentioned, we're now in a two-week micro-season known as beginning of winter, Li Mm Dong. In the Western calendar, winter doesn't actually begin for another month and a half, December 22nd this Mm -hmm. year. So, just for a little comparison there.
7: Wow, that's a big difference, okay? Big
2: differential. Right,
7: well, this is the first winter micro-season, okay, that Mm -hmm. we have Li Dong, but in the... uh, Traditional mentality, philosophy is 东是结束的意思 It's the final and last season, okay? Mm -hmm. So at this period of time, everything in the planet is walking towards, you know, a period.
2: Yeah, everything's coming to an end uh, for the year. And of course, this is a good time to start getting your um, good foods that are going to, I guess, replenish all the things your body needs for the winter.
7: Yes, like, you know, that means that you need to eat a lot of like good quality food, Mm -hmm. you know, to give the yang. Mm-hmm.
2: Ying energy.
7: Right, the yin yang, and yang. The yang. The yang. Okay. you talk talking
2: about Andrew Yang. <laughs> yes.
7: And also, this is the period of time, like, you know, many of my friends are asking me to go have crab.
2: Mm-hmm. This is
7: crab season.
2: They're fat and delicious. Right. That's what people the say red here crab. in Taiwan. Crab. Yes. Uh huh. So, also, we should mention, though, um, mm-hmm. that the average temperature at this time of the year, even though we're saying it's the beginning of winter, it's really only about Twenty-three degrees Celsius.
7: I know, so so
2: it's not that cold, really.
7: Well, if you lived in other countries, you're like,
2: what? Mm. That,
7: that is like warm. Okay, no. But here we consider it's cold.
2: Okay, Yes. a little bit
7: chilly, chilly Billy. Right.
2: So. so it- People take advantage of the nice October sunshine to dry out their veggies at this time of the year so they can be eaten during the winter time. They
7: also dry out fishes at this time as well, okay? Mm -hmm. A great season for the sailfish, which is the qi Mm -hmm. which are plentiful on the east coast of Taiwan, and they are migratory. So when they uh, go, follow the warm, crucial currents, and they go to Taitong, right?
2: Mm, the black tide from Japan, right. right?
7: And also we have the dolphin fish, which is the mahi-mahi, as we say it in Hawaii. Yes. Right?
2: Yes, and they wow. come to eat the flying fish, and the sailfish come to feed on the mahi mahi. So wow. it actually attracts a, a huge migration of fish here.
7: Life cycle. Very okay.
2: plentiful. Yes, yeah, circle of life. I
7: know.
2: Oh, sadness. But circle good for of us. life. <laughs> All right, we're going to uh, go into another song. Mm-hmm. It's called "Tinchi Liang Le. The weather is getting colder. It's by Lu Yao. Mm-hmm. When we come back in a moment, we're going to just uh, explore the idea of putting boba. On pizza. Is it a crazy idea? Hmm, we'll get to the bottom of it in just a moment when the feast
1: continues. Alrighty! <laughs> 我只好隐藏 是不是悲伤？我闭上眼睛想忘记你，却看见你站在回忆。
2: Listening to Feast Meets West. Second course.
7: Okay, so we're going to be talking about Boba Pizza. All right, so, you know, CNN is copying us, saying the Eastern me- meeting the Western, okay? They're, they're just literally saying East meets West.
2: CNN said that?
7: Yeah, it might be the ultimate meeting of Eastern and Western cuisine, okay? That's what they
2: said. Right. As long as they don't say Feastern and Western cuisine. <laughs>
7: okay, well, you know, they avoided that. So, Taiwan's famous bubble tea as a topping on a Domino's pizza.
2: Mm. Okay. They were the first ones that brought this trend around this time, I mm. think. Yes. Okay,
7: so pizza with boba. Okay, these chewy black balls made of tapioca and brown sugar, which people put in Taiwan Taiwanese iced tea, okay, mm-hmm. so the boba tea, and it became viral around the world. Mm-hmm. And it also contains mozzarella, white mocha balls. Oh. Mochi, sorry. Oh, mochi. mochi?
2: Yeah, sorry. Uh,
7: did, you, did you do a typo?
2: That's an autocorrect.
7: Okay, I yeah. thought you wanted like mocha cafe, cafe no, mocha. No, really I, I do
2: want it, actually. All
7: right, it says glutinous rice balls and brown sugar and honey drizzle over the top, but I think it's a good idea if they have like mocha flavor balls on it.
2: That would be pretty nice. That might be yeah. too many things, though, at once. Okay. So, internal data from Domino says that when Taiwan enters late fall and early winter, the proportion of total sales from desserts is 20% higher than in summer, according to United Daily News. That's interesting, right? Mm. Do you eat more sweet things during the winter, Ellen Chu?
7: Not necessarily. I eat it all year round.
2: Oh, really? Do you?
7: I love mocha. It's sweet.
2: Yeah, but I I get a craving for desserts. Like, I just want to, like, lie in bed and, like, watch TV and eat fatty foods. You don't feel that? No. Oh. Well, I I have...
7: That's... Only when you're like pregnant.
2: Uh, Maybe I'm pregnant. Maybe
7: you're pregnant in the head.
2: (laughs) I've actually found this. I looked into it to see if there's any science for pregnant Mm in the head. I love that. I am pregnant (laughs) in the head. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. So you can see here the science behind why we eat more sugar in the winter months is from Puget uh, Consumers Co op. It says during the cold, dark, Winter months, we get less sunlight, less exercise, and many people get seasonal affective disorder, or SAD, Mm -hmm. which is a mild form of depression. Mm -hmm. People suffering from SAD start to crave sugary foods to help deal with those winter blahs. Mm. That's interesting, right? Yes. And people with this eat more sugar because carbohydrate-rich foods cause blood sugar levels to spike, which raises blood insulin levels. And when this happens, the amino acid tryptophan which you can also find in Turkey, I think, travels up to our brains where it is converted to serotonin, a hormone that makes us feel happy. Mm. But it doesn't really fix your problems. <laughs> it doesn't. It's
7: just like, you know, before when I was in high school, people say that, oh, I'm tired. I need some food, okay, some sugary food. So they get a chocolate bar. And it's just instantaneously, it brings your you know, energy level up. Mm. But when it drops... You're dead.
2: Yeah, you're just even more tired exactly. than you were before. So,
7: you know, basically it, it it makes you feel the opposite way.
2: Not so great, so huh? So,
7: not so great.
2: Um, so, we want to mention that even though uh, Domino's is the first one to come out with the boba pizza this time around, mm-hmm. um, there is another pizza restaurant which claims to be the one that invented the recipe in April of 2015, so maybe even before California Pizza Kitchen. Mm. It's called Foodie Star. It's in Jai City, southwestern Taiwan. Wow. The owner, Chen Yunyu, says... People like bubble tea and people like pizza, mm-hmm. but she said some people loved it and some did not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't necessarily think that always works. Two good things, they should go together.
7: Right, because I think, you know, it has it has a very special texture to it. So if you don't like the texture of a glutinous rice ball, then, you know, you don't like it.
2: You don't like it.
7: Right. And, yeah. you know, with the cheese, with a little bit of salty, and then with the sweetness, you know... Some people may find it strange.
2: Well, I think also people, want, some people, if they have really, like, strict definitions of different types of food, when they think of pizza, they think of, like, tomato sauce, like right?
7: Italians.
2: And, like, savory.
7: Italians, you know, they're <laughs> like, this is impossible. What do you put boba on my pizza?
2: <laughs> no boba on my pizza. Yeah. They would say it's sacrilegious.
7: Exactly.
2: Yeah. Okay.
7: So, yeah. we hope we're not offending anybody out there. Okay? I, you know,
2: we don't want to offend anybody with our food show.
7: Right. You know, because mm-hmm. it can
2: be offensive. <laughs> right. So, quick look at the other two pizzas um, that have boba. This is the one that we sampled in 2015. It's the milk tea pizza, mm-hmm. it has thin crust, brushed with honey, topped with mascarpone black tea cream, sliced mm-hmm. banana, pineapple, and caramel boba. It is no longer available. Mm hmm. And then there's the Pizza Hut one, which is called QQ Hey, hey Tang, tang, tang ten, Nai. The
7: black, sh- the black sugar?
2: Brown sugar? Brown sugar milk tea. milk tea, okay. And QQ means it's very chewy.
7: Right. And it's limited edition...
2: Mm-hmm. Fall in the
7: footstep of Domino's. I
2: think they're trying to compete. <laughs>
7: I think so. Because they
2: released it like a week later.
7: Oh, wow. Yeah. They might have spies they're standing like, right outside of the <laughs> Pizza Hut, okay? <laughs>
2: they're like running quickly. we got to develop something. Come on, right. guys. But the question is, which one will win?
7: We'll have a blindfold
2: test. That's right. We're okay. gonna try the two pieces, and we're gonna come up with which one we think is the big winner mm-hmm. when we return in our third course. Are you ready? I am ready. Are you All ready?
7: Right. I'm ready.
2: You think you're ready? Yeah. <laughs> you
7: as long so as sure. it's not a bug that I have to eat.
2: I no more bugs, Ellen. you. I okay, promise. I will never you. make you eat a bug.
7: Thank you. Yeah, I didn't you know. eat a bug.
2: She didn't eat a bug.
7: <laughs> My we, daughter did. did I, you see the I video? saw
2: the video. She
7: is like eating it in like bulks okay amazing
2: she ate a bunch of them
7: yeah and afterwards she she finished the whole tube
2: you're kidding me she's very brave
7: she's very brave she can
2: eat that she can eat anything
7: i know that's scary she has some guts
2: she does have some guts that is pretty scary that
7: is pretty scary (laughs) and she's only eight years old i have a full room of high school boys (laughs) yeah didn't take the challenge
2: none of them did it
7: and they're all like (laughs) Ew.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> That's awesome yeah. Alright, we're going to go into a song It's called Pizza Kuang Which is uh Rhapsody Pizza Rhapsody? Mm-hmm. It's by the Ninja Turtles <laughs> Wow,
7: everybody's going
2: wild <laughs> Absolutely <laughs>
4: we
2: Ellen two is already digging in Yes mm. This
7: is good, you know Basically, we had two different versions One from Domino's and one from Pizza Hut mm-hmm. And uh, they were made a little bit different I think the one from Pizza Hut Is actually uh, more with layers And it's thicker mm-hmm. It has some kind of cream like in between
2: Oh Yes. And then the Mm -hmm. thing is
7: that the whole combination gave it like a French toast taste. It's not too sweet. But Domino's, you know, when I bite into it, it's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, thin-crusted, and then, you know, it seems like they drizzle honey all over it, mm-hmm. and also the brown sugar uh, boba was mm-hmm. sweet already, so it was like sweet plus sweet, and it's like super sweet.
2: I think the Domino's one also has mozzarella, which is just a little bit salty, which uh-huh. increases the sweetness of it as well. Mm. The other one, I think that they tried to not go with any salt, and mm-hmm. they just went for sweet, right? and actually ends up being less sweet. Mm-hmm. So the Pizza Hut one I think is chewier and more moist.
7: And the crust. I think the difference in the crust too.
2: The other thing is too, is one had a tea flavor, the other one didn't. Didn't, right. So the Domino's one does not have a tea flavor, but the Pizza Hut one does have a tea flavor.
7: So I think they put they really added like night ta
2: like the milk tea. Pearl milk tea right. The actual Into tea it. itself, right. yeah. Right. So maybe they
7: blended into the...
2: um, Mascarpone. Mascarpone. Yeah, I think they maybe did.
7: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Smart. Smart.
7: Kind of like sipping boba tea and then biting into a crust of pizza. Yeah. Cheese pizza.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's like eating a cup of boba tea.
7: Okay. So I have to say, Pizza Hut, you won (laughs) on this round. Ding, ding.
2: Ding, ding. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because they're the ones that actually came out with the pizza second. Mm. So I wonder if they sampled the Domino's one and thought, well, maybe we can do this better.
7: I think so, because, you know, once you you don't want to copy someone because you came afterwards, right? So you want to do some alteration to it to maybe to make it into a better one.
2: I take that a step further. I'm going to say if you copy copy somebody else's idea you better do it better I know (laughs) or else you
7: know it might just be like copycat copycat exactly but you know Pizza Hut I think you really won the race
2: yeah it'll be interesting to see how these sell and whether or not they continue Mm -hmm. into the future because I think they're both limited edition only for like a month or two limited edition limited it sounds like a purse
7: exactly yes
2: okay well thank you so much for joining us for Feast Meets Wes do Mm -hmm. write to us
7: yes write to us at P.O. Box 123 3-199 Taipei, Taiwan, and email us at androo at rti.org.tw, and next Saturday on The Feast...
2: Will Smith.
7: Yes, he Will Smith.
2: was in Taiwan, Ellen Chu became best buddies with him.
7: Yes.
2: And uh, we're going to hear a little bit about um, your interaction with him, and All also... Right. There was a drink he had here that he described as Didn't taste very good. Yeah, Not well,
7: you know, to many people it, it's So you know, I I think he wasn't too picky.
2: Yeah, I don't think so. I don't. I think I think this is a legitimate claim about this food. Yes. But we'll be sampling it next week in our show. Okay. righty. For Feast saw I'm Andrew Ryan,
7: and this is Ellen Chu. And one final song, of course, this is pizza related. It's called Pizza Pizza.
2: It's by Li Sheng.
7: Yes, Li Sheng.
2: <laughs> A little test of my Chinese there. <laughs> I know, because I
7: don't really know what it. How do you read it?
2: I think. Oh, it really? Is. Yeah. Or Chen. I think li shut. <laughs> I think I think that's it. Okay. All right, thanks so much for listening.
7: This is Ellen. And this
2: is Andrew. We'll Talk, come to us time. for Chinese lessons. Right. <laughs>
4: All right, bye-bye. Bye. Ha ha, You kill me. the only one 最烤的热一点 圈圈摔开烦恼<音> What to come Go high go high Kel Ching pizza, give me the two Little Pizza 转个圈圈, 帅开,
2: Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you.